Chapter Ten, Part One of A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. Chapter Ten, Part One showing how all orders and ranks of men and women of all ages are obliged to devote themselves unto god i have in the foregoing chapters gone through the several great instances of christian devotion and shown that all the parts of our common life our employments our talents and gifts of fortune are all to be made holy and acceptable unto god by a wise and religious use of everything and by directing our actions and designs to such ends as are suitable to the honor and glory of God. I shall now show that this regularity of devotion, this holiness of common life, this religious use of everything that we have, is a devotion that is the duty of all orders of Christian people. Fulvius has had a learned education, and taken his degrees in the university, he came from thence that he might be free from any rules of life. He takes no employment upon him, nor enters into any business, because he thinks that every employment or business calls people to the careful performance and just discharge of its several duties. When he is grave, he will tell you that he did not enter into holy orders, because he looks upon it to be a state that requires great holiness of life, and that it does not suit his temper to be so good. He will tell you that he never intends to marry, because he cannot oblige himself to that regularity of life and good behavior, which he takes to be the duty of those that are at the head of a family. He refused to be godfather to his nephew, because he will have no trust of any kind to answer for. Fulvius thinks that he is conscientious in this conduct, and is therefore content with the most idle, impertinent, and careless life. He has no religion, no devotion, no pretenses to piety. He lives by no rules, and thinks all is very well, because he is neither a priest, nor a father, nor a guardian, nor has any employment or family to look after. But, Fulvius, you are a rational creature, and, as such, are as much obliged to live according to reason and order as a priest is obliged to attend to the altar, or a guardian to be faithful to his trust. If you live contrary to reason, you do not commit a small crime, you do not break a small trust, but you break the law of your nature. You rebel against God who gave you that nature, and put yourself amongst those whom the God of reason and order will punish as apostates and deserters. Though you have no employment, yet, as you are baptized into the profession of Christ's religion, you are as much obliged to live according to the holiness of the Christian spirit, and perform all the promises made at your baptism, as any man is obliged to be honest and faithful in his calling. If you abuse this great calling, you are not false in a small matter, but you abuse the precious blood of Christ. You crucify the Son of God afresh. You neglect the highest instances of divine goodness. You disgrace the church of God. You blemish the body of Christ. You abuse the means of grace and the promises of glory. 
and it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. It is, therefore, great folly for any one to think himself at liberty to live as he pleases, because he is not in such a state of life as some others are. For if there is anything dreadful in the abuse of any trust, if there is anything to be feared for the neglect of any calling, there is nothing more to be feared than the wrong use of our reason, nor anything more to be dreaded than the neglect of our Christian calling, which is not to serve the little uses of a short life, but to redeem souls unto God, to fill heaven with saints, and finish a kingdom of eternal glory unto God. No man, therefore, must think himself excused from the exactness of piety and morality, because he has chosen to be idle and independent in the world. For the necessities of a reasonable and holy life are not founded in the several conditions and employments of this life, but in the immutable nature of God and the nature of man. A man is not to be reasonable and holy because he is a priest, or a father of a family, but he is to be a pious priest and a good father because piety and goodness are the laws of human nature. Could any man please God without living according to reason and order, there would be nothing displeasing to God in an idle priest, or a reprobate father. He, therefore, that abuses his reason is like him that abuses the priesthood and he that neglects the holiness of the Christian life is as the man that disregards the most important trust. If a man were to choose to put out his eyes rather than to enjoy the light and see the works of God, if he should voluntarily kill himself by refusing to eat and drink, every one would own that such a one was a rebel against God, that justly deserved his highest indignation. You would not say that this was only sinful in a priest, or a master of a family, but in every man as such. Now wherein does the sinfulness of this behavior consist? Does it not consist in this, that he abuses his nature, and refuses to act that part for which God has created him? But if this be true, then all persons that abuse their reason, that act a different part from that for which God created them, are like this man, rebels against God, and on the same account subject to his wrath. Let us suppose that this man, instead of putting out his eyes, had only employed them in looking at ridiculous things, or shut them up in sleep, that instead of starving himself to death by not eating at all, he should turn every meal into a feast, and eat and drink like an epicure. Could he be said to have lived more to the glory of God? Could he any more be said to act the part for which God had created him than if he had put out his eyes and starved himself to death? Now do but suppose a man acting unreasonably, do but suppose him extinguishing his reason instead of putting out his eyes, and living in a course of folly and impertinence, instead of starving himself to death, and then you have found out as great a rebel against God. For he that puts out his eyes, or murders himself, has only this guilt, that he abuses the powers that God has given him, that he refuses to act that part for which he was created, and puts himself into a state that is contrary to the divine will. And surely this is the guilt of every one that lives an unreasonable, unholy, and foolish life. As, therefore, no particular state or private life is an excuse for the abuse of our bodies or self-murder, so no particular state or private life is an excuse for the abuse of our reason, or the neglect of the holiness of the Christian religion. 
for surely it is as much the will of god that we should make the best use of our rational faculties that we should conform to the purity and holiness of christianity as it is the will of god that we should use our eyes and eat and drink for the preservation of our lives until therefore a man can show that he sincerely endeavors to live according to the will of god to be that which god requires him to be until he can show that he is striving to live according to the holiness of the christian religion whosoever he be or wheresoever he be he has all that to answer for that they have who refuse to live who abuse the greatest trusts and neglect the highest calling in the world everybody acknowledges that all orders of men are to be equally and exactly honest and faithful there is no exception to be made in these duties for any private or particular state of life now if we would but attend to the reason and nature of things if we would but consider the nature of god and the nature of man we should find the same necessity for every other right use of our reason for every grace or religious temper of the christian life we should find it as absurd to suppose that one man must be exact in piety and another need not as to suppose that one man must be exact in honesty but another need not for christian humility sobriety devotion and piety are as great and necessary parts of a reasonable life as justice and honesty and on the other hand pride sensuality and covetousness are as great disorders of the soul are as high an abuse of our reason and as contrary to god as cheating and dishonesty theft and dishonesty seem indeed to vulgarize to be greater sins because they are so hurtful to civil society and are so severely punished by human laws but if we consider mankind in a higher view as god's order of society of rational beings that are to glorify him by the right use of their reason and by acting conformably to the order of their nature we shall find that every temper that is equally contrary to reason and order that opposes god's ends and designs and disorders the beauty and glory of the rational world is equally sinful in man and equally odious to god this would show us that the sin of sensuality is like the sin of dishonesty and renders us as great objects of the divine displeasure again if we consider mankind in a farther view as a redeemed order of fallen spirits that are baptized into fellowship with the son of god to be temples of the holy ghost to live according to his holy inspirations to offer to god the reasonable sacrifice of an humble pious and thankful life to purify themselves from the disorders of their fall to make a right use of the means of grace in order to be sons of eternal glory if we look at mankind in this true light then we shall find that all tempers that are contrary to this holy society that are abuses of this infinite mercy all actions that make us unlike to christ that disgrace his body that abuse the means of grace and oppose our hopes of glory have everything in them that can make us forever odious unto god so that though pride and sensuality and other vices of the kind do not hurt civil society as cheating and dishonesty do yet they hurt that society and oppose those ends which are greater and more glorious in the eyes of god than all the societies that relate to this world nothing therefore can be more 
false than to imagine that because we are private persons that have taken upon us no charge or employment of life therefore we may live more at large indulge our appetites and be less careful of the duties of piety and holiness for it is as good an excuse for cheating and dishonesty because he that abuses his reason that indulges himself in lust and sensuality and neglects to act the wise and reasonable part of a true christian has everything in his life to render him hateful to god that is to be found in cheating and dishonesty if therefore you rather choose to be an idle epicure than to be unfaithful if you rather choose to live in lust and sensuality than to injure your neighbor in his goods you have made no better a provision for the favor of god than he that rather chooses to rob a house than to rob a church for the abusing of our own nature is as great a disobedience against god as the injuring our neighbor and he that wants piety towards god has done as much to damn himself as he that wants honesty towards men every argument therefore that proves it necessary for all men in all stations of life to be truly honest proves it equally necessary for all men in all stations of life to be truly holy and pious and do all things in such a manner as is suitable to the glory of god again another argument to prove that all orders of men are obliged to be thus holy and devout in the common course of their lives in the use of everything that they enjoy may be taken from our obligation to prayer it is granted that prayer is a duty that belongs to all states and conditions of men now if we inquire into the reason of this why no state of life is to be excused from prayer we shall find it as good a reason why every state of life is to be made a state of piety and holiness in all its parts for the reason why we are to pray unto god and glorify him with hymns and psalms of thanksgiving is this because we are to live wholly unto god and glorify him all possible ways it is not because the praises of words or forms of thanksgiving are more particularly parts of piety or more the worship of god than other things but it is because they are possible ways of expressing our dependence our obedience and devotion to god now if this be the reason of verbal praises and thanksgiving to god because we are to live unto god all possible ways then it plainly follows that we are equally obliged to worship and glorify god in all other actions that can be turned into acts of piety and obedience to him and as actions are of much more significance than words it must be a much more acceptable worship of god to glorify him in all the actions of our common life than with any little form of words at any particular times thus if god is to be worshipped with forms of thanksgiving he that makes it a rule to be content and thankful in every part and accident of his life because it comes from god praises god in a much higher manner than he that has some set time for singing of psalms he that dares not say an ill-natured word or do an unreasonable thing because he considers god as everywhere present performs a better devotion than he that dares not miss the church to live in the world as a stranger and a pilgrim using all its enjoyments as if we used them not making all our actions so many steps toward a better life 
is offering a better sacrifice to God than any forms of holy and heavenly prayers. To be humble in all our actions, to avoid every appearance of pride and vanity, to be meek and lowly in our words, actions, dress, behavior, and designs, in imitation of our blessed Savior, is worshiping God in a higher manner than they who have only times to fall low on their knees in devotions. He that contents himself with necessaries, that he may give the remainder to those that want it, that dares not to spend any money foolishly, because he considers it as a talent from God which must be used according to his will, praises God with something that is more glorious than songs of praise. He that has appointed times for the use of wise and pious prayers performs a proper instance of devotion. But he that allows himself no times, nor any places, nor any actions, but such as are strictly conformable to wisdom and holiness, worships the divine nature with the most true and substantial devotion. For who does not know that it is better to be pure and holy than to talk about purity and holiness? Nay, who does not know that a man is to be reckoned no farther pure or holy or just than as he is pure and holy and just in the common course of his life? But if this be plain, then it is also plain that it is better to be holy than to have holy prayers. Prayers, therefore, are so far from being a sufficient devotion that they are the smallest parts of it. We are to praise God with words and prayers, because it is a possible way of glorifying God who has given us such faculties as may so be used. But then, as words are but small things in themselves, as times of prayer are but little if compared with the rest of our lives, so that devotion which consists in times and forms of prayer is but a very small thing if compared to that devotion which is to appear in every other part and circumstance of our lives again as it is an easy thing to worship god with forms of words and to observe times of offering them unto him so it is the smallest kind of piety and on the other hand as it is more difficult to worship god with our substance to honor him with the right use of our time, to offer him the continual sacrifice of self-denial and mortification, as it requires more piety to eat and drink only for such ends as may glorify God, to undertake no labor, nor allow of any diversion, but where we can act in the name of God, as it is more difficult to sacrifice all our corrupt tempers, correct all our passions, and make piety to God the rule and measure of all the actions of our common life, so the devotion of this kind is a much more acceptable service unto God than those words of devotion which we offer to Him either in the church or in our closet. End of chapter 10, part 1 Recording by Robert Hoffman